Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Excited today to talk about a new book called How to Get the Most Out of College. More than that, it's to talk to a new guest, someone who hasn't been on the show before, and uh, he's got an interesting background. We're going to hear about it in a second. But before we do any of that, I just want to welcome Elliot Felix to the show. Elliot, welcome to Trending in Education. It's great to be here. You're also the founder of Bright Spot Strategy, which is another hat that you've worn over the years. I saw a couple of YouTube videos and podcast interviews in that context. So hopefully we'll get different dimensions of you to, to come out as part of this conversation. To begin, we always love to hear our guests tell their own story in their own words. So can you catch our listeners up in terms of who you are and how you got to this point in your professional life? Yeah, I'd be happy to. It's an interesting story that's informed how I think about learning and education, wearing a number of different hats, a, a consultant, a student, uh, a teacher, a father. Mm -hmm. And all these, I think, have helped me think about how people learn and how to help them learn more effectively and have better experiences. I, I actually started off as an architect. I loved architecture and I loved working as an architect. But for one problem, we didn't know enough about the people we were designing for. And it was a fantastic education in, in terms of understanding problems, understanding people, understanding places, presenting your ideas, learning how to test things out, embracing failure and, and learning through your, your mistakes. So all of that was awesome. And then I got into the profession and we did these great projects, but I found myself frustrated that we were often solving the wrong problem. It hadn't been well-defined. We didn't know enough about the people. Mm -hmm. And so I went back to grad school with the hope of understanding that and had a great experience at MIT where MIT is this wonderful interdisciplinary place where you just can't help but bump into people that are quite smart, quite a bit smarter than you are working just as hard as, uh, or harder than you and, uh, and are passionate about what they do and happy to help you learn. And I feel like I went into MIT an architect and I came out a designer mm. and, uh, and I found myself at a company called DEGW that was led by and founded by one of the uh, part-time faculty at, at MIT named Frank Duffy. And what we would do at DGW is solve that problem about not knowing enough about people mm -hmm. because our job was to write the design brief. So our job was to frame or define the problem mm -hmm. for the workplace and for learning environments. So we would interview people and survey them and conduct workshops and look at the competitive landscape, look at the peer institutions. And through that, we would figure out what's the problem for the architect to solve so that they can create a better design. Mm -hmm. And that was terrific. And I learned a lot of social science research techniques and a lot of things on the job. And then toward the end of that, I guess I, I came to a second realization, which was that space wasn't going to solve all the problems we were uncovering. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean problem in a negative sense. I've come from a background in design. So a, a problem yeah. is, ac is actually an opportunity. You also don't mean space in terms of uh, rockets to the NASA. Yeah. Although one of the interesting things, one of the bits of industry jargon is that when you add up and you quantify the amount of space that someone needs, that's called a space program. 
which sounds an awful lot like NASA and some of our clients actually get a kick out of, oh, we're going to go to the, yeah at this meeting, we're going to talk about our space program. Yeah. I'm sure I would be the guy who would say, Houston, we have a problem. But, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So I realized that ultimately my clients, whether they were universities or big tech companies, they were trying to create better experiences for people. And doing that, of course, relies on inspiring and functional spaces, the right amount of space in the right place. But it's also about the support services, that everything from food and events, technology, and on an academic campus, everything from admissions to career services and library and technology and mm -hmm. everything in, in between. And then it's how those services are staffed and how people are organized. And then it's the systems that people use. And that idea that you could think about spaces and services and staffing and, and systems and putting them together is how someone gets a great experience. That was the founding premise of Brightspot. Mm -hmm. And I started Brightspot about 11 years ago. And since then, we've been lucky enough to work with more than 100 colleges and universities and actually impact uh, more than a million students when you add up who's logged onto a system or stepped foot in a space or used a service. And uh, last year, we became part of a global consulting and engineering firm called Bureau Happold. That's the next stage of the journey is to have the support to scale, to reach even more students and faculty and staff and alumni and integrate lots of really fun complementary services like analytics and economics and sustainability and technology in it. Yeah. To me, it feels a lot like being back at MIT again. I have this huge network of fascinating and interesting and smart people mm -hmm. that are all trying to create better experiences for people, whether it's a student on a campus or an employee in the workplace or a fan in the stadium or a, yeah. a traveler in an airport. And that's uh, just fantastic. And on top of all those yeah. potentialities, there's also the unfortunate reality of the pandemic, which I've heard described as liquefying the status quo, credit to Timothy Clark, who had that turn of phrase, which I really like, but the idea that things that may have seemed rigid, immovable, suddenly have been shook as we're recording this, decisions are being made campus by campus around the approach to the pandemic response the different pressures that are being felt, the, the culture wars in many ways are being lived out on our campuses these days, which includes challenges around online learning and all of these things. It's a challenging time, but there is some opportunity. And I imagine there's increased awareness that the approaches that you're describing, design thinking, getting to know your users, understanding the problems that they need to solve. Those trends are also giving you some positive momentum. So I would be curious, based on your experiences, what has been the impact of the pandemic? You know, one of the, one of the mm -hmm. things I've heard from a lot of people is that things have been accelerated. And in some ways, we're moving much further, much faster. You're someone who's thinking about designing for the future. Any perspective on how things have been transformed in the last couple of years? Yeah, I think now it sounds a little trite to talk about the pandemic as an accelerator, mm -hmm. uh, but I'll give myself a little bit of credit for writing a post that said that in March of, you know, of 2020 and talking about the things that were likely to, to pick up that were already reshaping higher education, remote work being, being one of them and online learning uh, being the other. Mm -hmm. 
as we've all been on a sprint that turned into a marathon over the last 18 months, there have been four big disruptions, right? Climate, social justice, finances, and public health all compounding to create a lot of crisis and a bit of opportunity. Mm -hmm. The opportunity part comes in because I think now institutions are more aware of the need to think about the future, the need to do things differently, the need to give people more flexibility in, in terms of where and how they work and learn, the need to support the whole student to think about mental health, to think mm -hmm. about not just the traditional student that they may have been designing for. And I, I hope we can soon drop that term because I, I don't think it's all that relevant anymore drop the idea that we're assuming that all our students are living on campus yeah. or, or nearby and they're studying full-time and they're financially dependent on their parents. 18 to 24. Yeah, 18 to 24. And, and so I, I think the opportunity comes in if we think about who today's student is and who tomorrow's student is, is going to be and give them greater flexibility in where and how they learn, create more equitable experiences, and then take some of the lessons from the pandemic. And for me, one of the big ones that, that we've observed is what we've been calling the kind of a COVID paradox. Everyone learned that they can do more online, but also how much they value getting together in person. Yeah. And so I think what that's really going to be is a refocusing of the purpose of the campus to be more about community and collaboration and creativity, to be about facilitating the things that you can do uh, better in, in person that I don't think students were clamoring to get into the back row of a large lecture hall, but you know, they were to get into the lab to do research with their professors or into the dance studio or into the makerspace or into the shop or studying with another student or working on a project together in front of a whiteboard. Yeah. Yeah. That was the stuff in, in your book and in what I saw you putting out to the world lately, mainly on LinkedIn, which is another place where I'd recommend folks to check out Elliot Felix and, and what he's doing over there. But there was a, certainly a designer sensibility and architects mm -hmm. sensibility, but also a very human centered understanding of flexible use of space, also use of outdoor spaces and comfort reimagining some of those old constructs. I saw even, you know, a mock-up of a converted lecture hall or a classroom with room for tables with chairs around them. And that presumes a certain level of lower density, uh, which also was an interesting concept for me. When I saw you, you'd written a book about you know, how to get the most out of college. I thought it was going to be more traditional. Like I, I've heard a lot of college guides, but I actually think this one and, and what I've seen from you has a little more openness to possibility. That's where I'd love to get a little more of your perspective on where things might go and where there is some opportunity to, to let go of some notions that maybe we've been holding a little too close around the way lecture halls work or the way student services work or the way online learning might work. Any thoughts on where we might be able to head in terms of the design of these spaces? Yeah. When people talk to me about the, the future of education and what it means for spaces and student services, 
I feel like my answer is informed by the different perspectives I, I have. I think one of the key pieces is creativity and I'm a dad. I have a three and a half year old son and a six year old daughter. And one of my most amazing education memories was studying with Nora to take an exam when she was not quite four to get into advanced placement for kindergarten in New York city. It's a totally ridiculous enterprise, but we're looking at this book and we're going through the practice questions and she's almost four. And the question is, Dan has five balloons and he pops three. How many does he have left? And she said, why did he pop the balloons? <laughs> Which I thought was just such a better question. And rather than teach little kids to be calculators, or maybe we can help bring out their creativity. And I think that goes for all parts of education. And I think as we're thinking about the campus, we need to think about how we're enabling creativity, how students can work on projects that help them make an impact and, and connect them to a, a purpose and a, and a passion. When I've been wearing the, the part-time faculty hat, a, f a few years ago, I taught innovation in a design and management program. And I got to see the power of active learning of not just, you know, lecturing, but actively engaging students on projects. And we turned a course that was a seminar masquerading as a lecture into more of a studio-based, project-based learning course. Mm -hmm. And I had the two years to compare and it was just night and day. And so that I think, uh, at, whenever I've taught a class or been a, a guest speaker or a guest critic, I'm always trying to embrace project-based learning and connect that, you know, connect the class to a career path, because I think that's really what gets students excited. And then they're exploring different futures. They're imagining themselves in the future. They're building the skills they need. And then as a student myself, I had a great time at MIT, but it was very much a time of transition. We had an outgoing department chair. We had a new dean and it was a bit of a bit of a kind of leadership vacuum. And I was on the student government and we stepped up to fill the vacuum. And we did a project that sort of foreshadowed what, you know, what I ended up doing for a living which is we did a, a survey of the students. We did town hall meetings. We did comparisons to other departments. And out of that, we, we honed in on a few key problems, took them to the Dean and to her credit, she said, yeah, let's do it all. This yeah. makes perfect sense. And we, we, we doubled the salaries of TAs. We adjusted the schedule, the course grid so that, uh, people could cross enroll mm -hmm. more easily. Mm -hmm. And we really showcased the thesis project as a kind of culmination. And for me, the big takeaway from that is that the future needs to be co-created with students and they can play a real role in not just shaping their own experience and their own education, but working with their college or university to think about and co-create the, the future. Absolutely. It reminds me of a book just interviewed Lauren Buckman, who's the president of the Art Center College of Design in Pasadena. And he wrote a book called Make to Know, which is that you don't really know, even from an artist or a creator, you don't really know what you're making until you get out there and start to, to make it and understand the uncertainty and the, the risk of putting yourself out there. And then you extend that to include the collaborative 
you're co-creating not just with your instructor, but also with your peers. All these things to me are very much related to that first good job and the way in which the, the workplace is also transforming at the same time. And that's why I was very intrigued by the fact that you have worked with both organizations, whether they're higher ed or other sorts of organizations around how to think about these types of reimaginings and redesigns. But then it was nice for me to at least see you start to pull that into the context of higher education, which many times is a little bit behind in terms of fully embracing design thinking, but also very hungry to make those connections to the future of work and the community, you know, understanding how to be an effective contributor to society coming out of your undergraduate experience. Can you talk about some of the connections you've been able to make between those two contexts? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. And I feel like each has something to learn from and teach, teach the other. Google has been a client of mine since 2006. Hmm. And I don't think I'm giving away any secret or anything that isn't in the public domain, but they very much think of themselves as akin to a university and their, their campuses have very similar aims to university campuses in terms of creating and sharing knowledge and building community and sparking innovation. And so I think, you know, universities want to learn from companies and companies want to learn from universities mm -hmm. and to move in the other direction, you know, I think libraries are sort of the, the workplace of the future. There's a simple side to that, which is the people that are in the library today are tomorrow's employees. You know, the way today's library libraries are designed, they're very much like the workplace of the future in that they give people a lot of variety and choice and where and how to learn. They give people opportunities to make things in a hands-on way to showcase the things that they're making, to reconfigure things, give them a sense of ownership. So those are ways that I think higher ed is influencing the, the corporate world. And I think the, the corporate world is influencing higher ed in a number of different ways. I think certainly when it comes to embracing more flexible uh, workspaces for their faculty and staff. And certainly when it comes to things like research and innovation parks, where there is this, there is this like very fruitful overlap and a kind of a spectrum from basic fundamental research into technology transfer and translational research into commercialization. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think there is a, a really good dialogue there. Yeah. And what I liked about the book was that it did seem to bring to bear a little more of the user-centered orientation of product design. You know, what problems mm -hmm. are students actually going to face their first year or two or really getting through college? And even the structure was very much, you know, laying out a little bit of, you know, your first principles to begin with, then talk about the things that are universally applicable, but then also to, to reinforce the point you made earlier one size fits none mm -hmm. sensibility that both understanding what's uniformly true because there are some truths there, but also then understanding what each individual will have that is unique. And to, to your point, give each person the ability to feel some sense of control and some sense of identity through their experience. Can you talk a bit about that, that dimension of what you were getting at? Yeah, I, probably the most important idea in the book is that your college experience is something that you take charge of as a student and that you create. And I think the reason that's so important is that 
the dominant narrative of college or of education in general is that it's something you navigate. People say navigate all the time, or they talk about getting through. And I get that college can feel like an obstacle course, but I think with the right information and the right inspiration and the right relationships, people can see college as something not just to navigate, but actually to create. And so I conceived of the 127 tips as building blocks for people to create their own experience. And my thought was I've worked for a hundred colleges and universities. I know how they work. Let me pass this along to students and parents so they can make it work for them and they can get the most out of it. They can take full advantage of what their colleges and universities uh, offer. Because, you know, if there's one thing I observe in doing this consulting work, A, it's the, the limits or the problems of this navigation narrative. But I think it's also that colleges and universities are amazing places that offer so many things that are not fully taken advantage of. Most libraries, for instance, are these student service hubs where you can not only get help on a, what book should I use in this research paper, but there are these hubs to support all kinds of student projects, help with writing so that you can clarify your thesis or better structure an argument, help with communication and presentation, mm -hmm. help with analyzing and visualizing data, help fabricate a prototype to help record and edit uh, a video. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these services go unused when we're doing service design work for, for colleges and universities, the, the, the refrain we hear over and over again is how do we make our services more visible and increasing access and awareness is really important. And so is from an equity standpoint, making sure they're delivered in a way that people feel comfortable using them. They know it's for them. There isn't a stigma associated with getting help. And so that's really what I, I was hoping to do is help people understand that college is something you create and here are the building blocks to do it. Yeah. In that sense, that I, I did appreciate the aspirational quality of it where this is right within your reach, but you just mm -hmm. need a different lens and a different way to almost put aside some of your preconceptions of what college is supposed to be and allow yourself to lean into what do you need and, and how can you get it out of this experience? Also really appreciated the focus on belonging. Good experience design makes people feel at ease and it removes some of those concerns, those threatening contexts, particularly in this day and age, we all are feeling more under siege and yeah. finding ways that wayfinding through campus, even, you know, recommending as one of your tips to get lost on campus. That struck me in that places where I feel safe getting lost, I feel safe in. And hopefully the campus is designed in such a way that you can feel like it is a place that is for you, not a place where you're not allowed to go to this part of campus. You're not allowed to go here or there. Can you talk about just a little bit of the emotional design component and the idea that these cultures need to set themselves up so that people, everyone feels like a sense of identity, belonging and, and home on their campus. It's really great that so many people are realizing how, you know, how important that is. 
And uh, one of the best parts of doing this book was getting to interview lots of really knowledgeable people who have dedicated their whole career to what then shows up as a tip or two in my book, which obviously doesn't do it justice. But one of the folks I interviewed was Dr. Terrell Strayhorn, who's uh, the provost at Virginia Union University. He literally wrote the book on college student belonging and has done dozens of, of articles and, and a ton of research around how people feel like they matter, like they're connected, like they're supported, like they're enough and the role that space and student services and, and other things play in that. And I think it's really, it's a combination of, of strategies. And ultimately I'm heavily influenced by the, the Robert Putnam idea of bridging and bonding capital. I think universities need to embrace that for the bonding capital where you're, you're connecting with people in your in-group. I think increasingly universities are realizing the importance of identity-based centers that might be a first-gen center or an LGBTQ plus Sarah Pride Center or a, a student parent center or an international student center, transfer student center. And these are great places to both facilitate that bonding capital where people can meet people like them and they can get support services and resources. So if it's, if you're an international student talking to someone who actually understands the visa process, or if you're a transfer student, someone who can help you actually get your credits transferred. Whereas on, on average, people lose 40% of the, of their credits when they transfer, which to me is crazy. And so I think the bonding piece is where we're doing pretty good because there's an increasing recognition about spaces and services that can support folks. And of course, there's a lot of diversity in any group, even if they all quote unquote look the same. So it's, I'm oversimplifying a little bit here, but I think the bridging capital is maybe the harder nut to crack because you have to make people feel safe to go outside their group. And that takes more or less effort depending on how inclusive an environment is mm -hmm. and more or less risk. But I think that the places that do this well create that sense of safety. They create the spaces and the, and the activities, whether it could be around sports, it could be around culture, it could be around anything that, that brings people together to build those, to build those bridges and then gives them the skills to do it. So I think now you can take a workshop on communication across difference. You can take an intercultural skills assessment to see where you fall on the, on a spectrum. So universities are, are doing a better and better job of giving, giving students the, the tools and, and staff and faculty, but giving them, giving them the tools, the skills, the occasion and the spaces to meet each other. But I think the success depends a lot on the culture of the campus and how, you know, inclusive it is, which has to do not only with the space, but the leadership and the history and, and so many other factors. Culture. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, amazing conversation. I can see how you have 127 tips. There's a uh, plenty of good nuggets that you can provide. Uh, I did just wanted to ask you maybe to share the extended mind tip. Cause I saw you just shared it earlier as a taste, because in case folks are curious what the types of tips are that they might encounter in your book, I thought maybe we could get that quickly. And then I'd love to get some concluding thoughts before we wrap up. Sure. 
I don't have them all committed to memory, but since I posted this one today, I can tell you that tip number 64 is to use space as a tool for memory, identity, and belonging. And uh, the thought there is that space can be part of your extended mind, which is a concept uh, created by cognitive philosopher, Andy Clark. He talks about the extended mind as a tool beyond your brain or body that you can use to think with, a way to augment your capacity. And space has this capacity because it can do more than meet your functional needs, right? It can be more than a place to do stuff and store your stuff. It can be a tool for memory, for instance, putting up a calendar so you can keep track of your deadlines, putting up post-its about important things you need to remember. Mm -hmm. It can be a tool for identity because you can show yourself things that remind you of who you are and what's important to you. And it might be pictures of friends and families or a map of places you've been, award, awards you've won. And it can be a tool for belonging because you can show yourself what you're a part of, which maybe it's a team or friends or family. So much of the book is about how you do more with less, how you get a two for one. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a great example of, of how space can do more and help create your experience. And there's lots of other tips like that. There's another one on connecting the dots with your class projects, which I think is so important because you're going to, students are going to get asked to do lots of different projects for each class. And if you can find a common theme, let's say it's something about water and you talk about the politics of water in your political science class, and you talk about the quality of water in your environmental science class. Yeah. Now you can dive into the same thing in much more detail and it starts to maybe tell you a bit about something you want to explore in an internship or as a career yeah, and uh, can save you time in the process. You can either save time or go into greater depth or both. So much of the book is about trying to help people make more or make the most of their time in college. My son just turned three, so I'll have to refer to the 2030 something edition, but I also yeah. think for parents, there was a lot. The name of the book is how to get the most out of college. Elliot Felix has been uh, a wonderful guest here with us today. As we're bringing it home, Elliot, we talked about a lot of really interesting points and perspectives. We're always trying to get out ahead of what's new and emerging. Concluding thoughts? Uh I would say I, I talked about the most important concept in the book is for students to see college as something that they do more than navigate, but it's something they create. And I think a close second is the idea that academics, social, and career are connected. And I think the more people can think about those, not as separate activities, but as part of the same experience, the better off they'll, they'll be. Mm. And I, I, when I set out to write this book and impart and share what I've learned from working with all these colleges and universities, I found that the books that were out there were either quite serious and didn't, didn't recognize how, what a social process education is. So it's great to talk to people about how to study, but if you also don't have a group to study with or a group to work on that, on that project, it's not going to work out so well, or they were all social you know, how to get along with your roommate and, and they were either about your college search or while you're in college or career, but mm -hmm. not all three. And so if people can be thinking about when they go to class, how they meet the group of people that they're going to find community in, and then how, what that group does 
with say a class project to, to then explore a career path, I think they're so much better off. Yeah. And I think if we, if students, parents, institutions can think about those together and think about the whole student, higher ed will be, you know, even stronger than it is today. Awesome. Outstanding stuff. Elliot Felix is the founder of Bright Spot Strategy. He's the author of How to Get the Most Out of College. Elliot, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. And for our listeners, if you like what you're hearing, write us a review, share this episode, share the good word. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.